Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks and praise for this day. We thank you, Lord, for gathering us together in this place. We thank you, God, for giving your word to us. Lord, we ask that you would empower your word. We ask, Lord, that you give us revelation, that you'd open our hearts and minds to perceive you. Lord, we ask for your tangible presence to be here among us. Lord, speak into our lives. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on this place and upon us. Lord, I ask that you give me words to speak, but that way, words and thoughts might be forgotten. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. interesting to see what happens with uh, celebrities. Earlier this week, there's this uh, fellow called Piers Morgan, which you may or may not have heard of, but he's a commentator, TV personality, that, that kind of thing, and uh, he's on a, sh on a show in Britain and uh, made some uh, comments about uh, somebody called Daniel Craig. Does anybody know who Daniel Craig is? Yes. Yeah, he's the current Bond. James Bond. So he was out last week as uh, not James Bond, but just as Daniel Craig, wandering the streets, and he happened to be out with his daughter. And he was carrying his daughter, who's, who's a, you know, just a small toddler, and he's carrying his daughter in this baby carrier, and apparently it's called a papoose, and it's on his front, and so he's some. Paparazzi he took a picture of Daniel Craig, poor guy, just walking down the street, minding his own business with his daughter strapped to him, and Pierce Morgan condemned him for emasculating James Bond. Which, of course, got the Twittersphere in an uproar. You know what the Twittersphere is? You know, people tweeting back and forth about all of this. And so, you know, poor Daniel Craig, minding his own business, has now been accused of undermining Bond. James Bond. Now, of course, James Bond, as we all know, is an epitome of masculinity. Suave, debonair, cruel under all circumstances. We could take a poll as to who the best James Bond was, because many people who watch James Bond have an opinion as to who the best one was. You've got the wisecracking Roger Moore, you've got you know, Sean Connery, who's got a bit of the debonair a bit, but also this classy kind of thing. But there's this sense in it of, you know, kind of the definition of, of this man's man. And so, wrapped up inside it then, when you start taking shots at people, you know, it is the sense of, of, of who are you? What is, what is your ambition? What is your self-conception? And so, there's a, an attractiveness to those who are famous. You know, if you're famous, you get all these perks, you cut to the front of the line, you get all the adulation of people, you know, you get, you know, looks like you have all this wealth and all these kinds of things that, that go with it. And some people really desire it. You know, there's an envy inside to be famous, to have power, to have all these kinds of things in the eyes of the world upon you. Now we also see that as soon as you're famous in the world's eyes and you have all this attraction, you also get all the other side of that that goes with it too. 
But you know, this has been in the hearts of people from the earliest times, and I'm not sure any of us are immune from it. I was, in fact, thinking as I read about poor Daniel Craig, I thought, I am so glad that I wear robes on Sunday, because you can't see what's underneath. It hides a multitude of sins and misshapenness. Because, you know, we have this desire in us to be liked, to be wanted, to be honored. And for many of us, if we're honest, we would have to then, we like the idea, at least, of having power and having recognition, of having a place of honor. And, and it, I was just reminded, actually, of a few weeks ago, a number of us were gathered in Dallas for, the, for a conference called Radville Radical Vocation. And on the um, first evening of the conference, there was a solemn even song with the presider was uh, Michael Curry, our presiding bishop. The preacher was Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury. Um, our own bishop was a part of that. And Anthony Burton, the rector at... Uh, of the Incarnation, I was afraid I was going to get that wrong and he'd be mad at me, um, but Bishop Burton was, the, was uh, singing the Mass parts, he was the cantor, so this great event, and they had tickets that were sold out and you couldn't get in, and I thought, I'm not worried about this, because the bishops got to, to Bass and wander in, I had a reserved seat. It's kind of nice sometimes, you know, you have those little perks of things. So here's James and John. Does anybody remember what, what Jesus called James and John? Sons of thunder. Yes. The latter cheese. So James and John were these guys. They had, they had this drive. And so they came up to Jesus and, and they're on their way to Jerusalem. They're on their way to Jerusalem for the last time. And on several occasions on this way, Jesus had called them all aside and said, Look, I want you to understand what's coming. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of sinners. He's going to be put to death. I remember Peter had come up to him and said, Jesus, quit talking like that. We don't want to hear that. You see, they, they still, none of them had grasped yet. Nor they, and in all, in all honesty, I don't think they could grasp yet what was going to happen. They just knew in their hearts that Jesus, this man, he is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. His kingdom is coming. We're in on what's going on. We get to be a part of it. This is awesome. And so as they're headed towards Jerusalem, they think this might be the last time we're going to Jerusalem in this capacity. Jesus is going to take his throne. So I don't know if they put their arm around Jesus, but I could almost imagine it that way. Jesus, um, we, have, we have something we want you to do for us. They take him aside. And Jesus, he, he knows our hearts, doesn't he? But James and John say, Jesus, we have something to ask you. Would you do whatever we want? Now, have you ever had somebody come up and say, I have a favor to ask you. You're going you're gonna to say yes, right? When it, somebody precedes what they're asking with, you're going to do whatever I ask, right? You know, you know there's something in this favor that you're about to be asked. And that's what they did. Jesus, you'll do whatever we want, right? And Jesus says, well, what is it that you want? He's smart. Wise. And they said, well, Jesus, we want you to let us sit at your right hand and at your left hand. In other words, when you take your throne, we want to be number two and number three. 
We want the best places. We want the places of honor. Jesus, we've been faithful. We walked with you the whole way. Remember as James and John that when the, the, you know, they were headed towards Jerusalem and they came to the Samaritan town and they didn't want Jesus to stay there? They said, just keep on going. We don't want any trouble. And it was James and John who said, Lord, should we call fire down from heaven? See, James and John, they always had Jesus' best interest at heart. They wanted the world to honor Jesus like they honored Jesus. They wanted even the Samaritans to respect Jesus like they respected Jesus. They loved him. They had given up everything. They, they left the family business for Jesus. They left behind the boats. They were fishermen. They left their father, their boats, their nets, everything in order to walk with Jesus. And now as his committed followers, and remember it was James and John that were often in on everything. If there was only a handful of disciples, it was Peter, James, and John. They were part of the inner core, and they knew they were part of the inner core. They were the ones who went up on the mountain, the mountain of transfiguration, Peter, James, and John. They got to go there when they went to um, Jairus' house. Whenever there was just the, 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 the core of the core who went, they were there. And they had picked up on this. They, they're smart men. They always say it's Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. So they're thinking, do we want Peter to be number two or do we want one of us? So they probably are picturing in their mind, okay, it's going to be one of us. Peter might not have asked yet, so we'll ask. And we'll just rock, paper, scissors who gets to be right in mind. <laughs> But there is a commitment in here. I think there's ambition in their hearts, but I think there's also, there's a commitment. They've given their lives to and for Jesus, and so they, now they're looking for the return on this. And Jesus said, you have no idea what you're asking. They thought they knew. They thought they had it figured out. What they pictured was places of honor in a kingdom of glory. And at this moment, the door was open if they could understand it of what was coming. Jesus said, you have no idea what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Can you be baptized with the baptism with which I am about to be baptized? Jesus was looking at the cross. They were looking at glory. And they said, we're able. And Jesus said, okay. And I imagine there were tears in his eyes and pain in his heart as he said, you'll drink the cup that I'm going to drink. And you'll be baptized with the baptism which I'm, I'm about to receive. But those places in glory, I can't, I can't promise you that. That's reserved. That's, that's already been figured out. And I think Jesus' heart must have been breaking in that moment. Because if you think about what was coming when Jesus gathers with the disciples at the Last Supper, and He takes that cup at the Passover meal, and He gives the thanksgiving over that cup, and then He says, this is the cup of my blood. 
because he knew what was coming. James and John saw the glory and Jesus saw the cross. See, when Jesus said, if you, if you want to follow me, you will follow me. You want these places, you, you can have the cup, you can have the baptism. But you're going to figure out, you're going to find out by experience what this means. Because what was the cup? What was the baptism that Jesus had? You have this glimpse in the book of Hebrews. It's a glimpse backwards. As the writer of the Hebrews describes Jesus as our great high priest. The one who can stand for us on our behalf and cry out in intercession. And it says Jesus did not grasp this position of great high priest. No one ever does. But in writing to the Jewish Christians, the Messianic Jews, they understood what the high priest was. The high priest was the one who went into the Holy of Holies and offered sacrifice on behalf of the people. The one who offered intercession on behalf of the people. And the high priest, through all those centuries, had always begun with an offering of sacrifice for his own sins. And then for the sins of the people. And then to offer praise. And then to offer intercession. And we are told that that that's been covered. Jesus is our great high priest and he offered one sacrifice for all time and he doesn't need to keep offering sacrifices anymore. But he can act as our high priest in a capacity because of what he suffered. It's a very difficult word if you, if you don't understand it at first. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, being made perfect he became the source of eternal salvation for all who would betray him. You see, Jesus became our perfect high priest. One who can understand our weakness and understand our suffering and understand our temptations because he went through it. He understands what it is to be tempted because he was tempted. He understands what it is to suffer because he suffered. Jesus entered completely into our humanity. And so in all our weakness and in all our humanity, we can come to our great high priest and receive grace, receive empathy, receive sympathy, receive understanding because Jesus has been there. There's nothing that we encounter in our lives that Jesus hasn't walked through already. So when Jesus said, you understand what it is to be baptized, to drink this cup. It was to walk through suffering, to experience the worst parts of human life. The penalty of sin. The penalty of brokenness. In fact, if you look at what the prophet Isaiah saw, feel your passage, I think, to most of us. Surely, He's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that made us whole. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. As for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When he makes himself an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. Can you drink the cup that I drink? Be baptized with my baptism. Jesus knew this is what was to happen. It was his choice to be made a sacrifice for our sin. He took our place. It was our brokenness, our sin, our rejection of God, our woundedness. That's what Jesus took to the cross. And that's what James and John and Peter could not yet understand. It's interesting. Jesus told James and John, you, you get, that's what you want, that's what, that's what you'll receive. Instead, James was executed. And John went into exile. They experienced a, a taste. But as you continue to read through Mark's Gospel, and the rest of the gang finds out what James and John have done, they began to become indignant. I think the how dare you that was in their hearts was a part of why didn't I think of that? <laughs> and a sense of how dare you, that's my spot. Because Jesus had to call them together and say, look, you need to understand something about this. Yeah, the world, the world grasps for power. And their powerful people lord it over them. Their great ones are tyrants over them. But not so among you. If you want to be great in my kingdom, you'll be the servant. And if you want to be number one, you're going to be number one slave to the rest. That's not a message that's easy for humans to hear. And the disciples at first didn't get it. And they, it didn't soak in until they saw Jesus be arrested, be scourged, beaten, be rejected, be killed on the cross, and see him alive again. Only then did they begin to get it. And only after the Holy Spirit filled them did all the pieces come together. And they could look back to the prophet Isaiah and say, what we have just seen and experienced is what God promised. And this is our hope. It's not by grasping someone, by demanding our rights, by aspiring to greatness and adulation, and trying to be great in our own eyes or in our own ability. But to understand that because of what Jesus did, we have what we truly need and what we truly desire. And so for them, they begin to understand 
but to be great meant to lay down their lives. And they were prepared to do that. They began to understand. Not everybody gets to sit at Jesus' left hand and right hand. Not everybody's going to get all the acclamation in the coming kingdom. But every single one of us can be great by being a servant. Every one of us, as every one of them, had the opportunity to walk with Jesus' heart. But not because we're able to do it, but only by His grace and only by His mercy. In fact, it's only by coming to this One who's given everything for us and receiving from Him are we able to walk out the kind of life He's called us to walk. So you think about your own life. What are the cries of your heart? What is it that you crave? Do you crave to be recognized? Do you crave to be loved? Do you wish you had riches? Do you wish you had power? Do you wish you had ease? Well, whatever those things are, we need to go the next layer down and say, what is it that that's trying to fulfill? What is it that we hunger for? What is it that we truly desire in the midst of our heart? And for many of us, we can't really answer that question. We need revelation from God to say, what is it that I truly need, that I truly crave? Because at the heart of it are all those things that Isaiah spoke about. What we need is release from our iniquities. We need forgiveness. We need forgiveness for our sin, for our, what we've done wrong. Many of us, probably all of us, have been hurt. Somebody's wounded us deeply. For many of us, we carry the wounds from childhood. Things done to us or things we experienced before we even had understanding of what was going on. And some of those things, for some of us, they control us our whole life. Somebody spoke something over us or something did something to us. And it kind of carries us. Maybe you've had that experience where somebody betrayed you so deeply that you said in your heart, I will never let someone do that to me again. I'll never trust anyone again. And now you wonder why you're always suspicious of people. It's because you took a vow back in that part of your life. You don't have to carry that. It doesn't have to have dominion over us. Because Jesus died for those things. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was wounded for our transgressions. By His stripes, we are healed. And if we truly want to honor God, if we want to honor what Jesus has done for us, we need to take to heart those things and not either take them for granted or to not leave them laying there as an offer that is not taken up. Because God sees you here this morning. He knows everything that has happened in your life. He knows every craving that's in you. He knows every wound that's in you. And He loves you deeply. He chose to go to the cross because of you and for you. Because He wanted that much for you to know Him and have a relationship with Him and a relationship with the Father. 
He is your great high priest, the only one who is able to carry all that stuff to the very throne of God and intercede for you and make you whole. And he has chosen to do that. He understands what it is to be wounded, to be betrayed, to be hurt, to have temptations. And so he can take you as you are and carry you in his arms to the place of healing. Is there something in you this morning that needs God's touch? He says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will refresh you. He says to you this morning, is anyone thirsty? Let him come to me and drink. And a spring of living water will well up inside of him. No one is beyond the touch of God. Not one of us has wandered too far away. Not one of us has done something so evil that God can't heal it, can't restore it. Not one of us has grasped beyond our reach so much that God can't help us. James and John, they, they drank the cup and they were baptized. But you know what? They became lovers of Jesus who truly understood what it was. As did Peter, as did the rest. So God opens his heart to us this morning. No matter what it is that we crave, no matter whether it's greatness that we want, no matter if Piers Morgan took a shot at us on Twitter, it doesn't matter what's happened to you here today. We're all equal before our God. He accepts us as we are, but to take us beyond what we've been and what we might want. So your God says to you this morning, my heart is open, my door is open. Come and receive. So we're going to pray. We're going to ask God's grace that he would open whatever it is inside us that most needs his touch. We're going to ask him to touch that place in us. And it could be in this very moment that God reaches into you in a way that you have never experienced before. I just invite you to receive it. You see, God never imposes himself on us. He's not going to reach into your life if you don't invite him to do that. If you choose to push him away, he'll honor that. But it works the other way even more. But just the smallest crack that you open your life up to him, he'll pour in his grace. And so whether you know what your need is or not, we're just going to ask him to come and it may be in this very second he touches you. It may be at communion. It may be during the prayers. It may be at another time. It may be that only looking back you recognize that something's changed. But we just trust that in as much as we open our hearts, our great and mighty God will reach in. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you see into our hearts in ways that we can't see. Lord, I thank you that on that day when James and John reached beyond what was right, you did not turn them away, you didn't reject them. But you drew them in to your cup and your baptism. Lord, we thank you that in our own baptism we were united to yours. That in our baptism and in coming to you, we come to the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross. Thank you for taking on our iniquity and our sin and our wounds and our brokenness. Thank you, Jesus, that you did it because you love us. 
But your word tells us over and over again how deeply you care for us. That you are our great high priest. Lord Jesus, in this moment we come before you asking for your grace. That you would reach into our lives with your transforming power. And Lord, we confess that we probably don't even know what it is that we most need. Or what it is to truly walk with you. But Father, we know that we want your touch. We need your healing. We need your mercy and your grace. So Lord, we ask you to pour that into us now. Pray throughout this room for your healing power to pour down. Lord, release us from our wrong ambitions and give us the freedom of right ambitions. Lord, release us from vows that we made in our ignorance and pain and give us your freedom. Just cut those off in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray for the wounds that we received even as children that we could not understand. Lord, would you heal those things and give us the freedom of walking in you? Lord, just pour into our lives freedom and joy and peace of the cross. Lord, help us to receive it and to welcome it in our lives. Lord, we pray that you transform us into your likeness and that we can truly walk with you. And we ask these things because of and in the power of and in the mercy of Jesus' name.